So have you ever been accused of doing something by somebody else that you didn't do? You know, I remember when I was trying to change my life, I had to run in with some people uh, who uh, accused me of doing something that I didn't do. Now, I had one foot in the Christian life, and I had another foot out of the Christian life. And I had some words with a couple in a parking lot. And uh, next thing I know, they brought me up on charges of uh, criminal mischief. That was one of the worst experiences of my life. And, but uh, it was also one of the greatest experiences of my life to see God's power at work, to see his mighty hand at work and knowing that he is really there. Now, I was arrested for this accusation, and I was thrown into jail. Now, I don't know where we got the whole saying of innocent until proven guilty, right? <laughs> I don't know where we get that from, right? Because let me tell you, I was guilty, and I had to prove myself innocent. But it was there in that jail cell that I made a deal with God, if there is such a thing, right? If you can make a deal with God. I like to think of it as a covenant, right? Covenant. Made a covenant with God that if he was real and that he would get me out of that, then I would serve him. Well, he did. Through the work of the Holy Spirit and people in this church, charges were dropped against me because the accusations were false. But they could not prove it and you see what happened to me, right? Because, yeah. <laughs> because every time that God asked me to do something, I said, yes. Will you do this? Yes. Will you do that? Yes. Will you do this? Yes. Will you do that? Yes. Will you be a pastor? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm not real sure what that means, Lord, but, you know, I'll believe you. So every time he called me, I did it. But God came through for me, and you better believe that I was going to hold up my end of the bargain because I saw the Israelites and what happened to them, right? <laughs> I know what happens when you don't keep up your end of the bargain. So I kept up my end of the bargain. But part of me wanted to go to trial, right? Wanted to go to trial, and I wanted to listen to them purge themselves on the stand and me to go, liar, liar, pants on fire, you know, man, I wanted to do that. And he thumped me on the head and went, hey, do you want me to get you out of this or you want to go through that? I was like, I'm out. I'll do it. I'll, I'll stay out. Uh, our scripture this morning comes from Acts 25, 1 through 12. I put on Facebook that, hey, you need to read Acts 23, 12 through 24, 27, because we jump a little bit here. And now we find that Paul is in prison. He is in prison because of false accusations. And he's been there. And while he's there, there's a few other things that have happened um, in that discourse of Scripture between 23 and 24. Um, there was a plot to kill Paul. 
there were some Jews that got an oath. They took an oath with each other, and they said that they wouldn't eat or drink anything for 40 days until Paul was killed. And, you know, that's, uh, that's commitment right there because I can't go 40 hours without eating or drinking anything. So 40 days is a long time. That's commitment. All right, so Jerusalem had become a very dangerous place for Paul. And when Paul discovered this plot against him, he appealed to Claudius Lysias and ordered, uh, and he ordered that Paul be moved at night to Caesarea. So two years have passed, and Paul is in prison. He was in prison under Felix, and Felix left him there for two years, thinking he was going to get a bribe from one of Paul's people, but it didn't happen. So he's been in jail for a couple of years, and uh, now the new governor is Festus, and this is where we pick up, and Paul is in jail here and fixing to go before him. So let's read our scripture. It's from Acts 25, 1 through 12. Now, three days after Festus had arrived in the providence, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And the chief priests and the principal men of the law laid out their case against Paul, and they urged him, asking as a favor against Paul, that he summon him to Jerusalem. They were planning on an ambush to kill him on the way. Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So, he said, let the men of authority among you go down with me, and if there is any wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. After he stayed among them not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea, and the next day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul be brought. When he had arrived, the Jews who had came down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. Paul argued in his defense, neither against the Jews, neither against the law of the Jews, or against the temple, or against Caesar, have I committed any offense. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his counsel, answered, To Caesar you have appealed. To Caesar you shall go. May God add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of his holy word. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for your word that it, it is an instruction manual for how to live. You tell us that it is alive and active. And may it come alive and jump off of these pages and into our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, God's people saying, amen. Okay, so we find that there is a new governor, and that his name is Festus. And three days into his new job, he goes to Jerusalem. And this was not uh, something that uh, wasn't natural. It was natural for 
the governor to go to Jerusalem because Jerusalem was the religious and cultural center of the people now under his jurisdiction. So what happens when he gets there? When he gets there, these religious leaders meet him and they start telling him about the old charges against him from two years ago. You know that person. You have those kind of people in your life, right? The person that goes to the high ups and they tell them all about you. Fill their head full of things that you've done, all the dirt that's on you before they get a chance to know who you really are, the one that brought, brings false accusations against you and tarnishes your good name, that guy. We all know that guy, don't we? Some of you might be dealing with that guy right now. And that could be a family member, a friend, or a coworker that bring charges and accusations against you. But we read back in 24, 5, and 6 of Acts what these charges are against Paul. And Luke describes them as serious charges. So let's take a look. He was a troublemaker. Troublemaker. He was stirring up riots with the Jews all over the world. He was the ringleader. That's a military term. Really... A ringleader of the Nazarene sect. The word Nazarene applies to Jesus because he was Nazarene. And the sect, or the way, and they call themselves the way because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life in John 14.6. And then there was another accusation that Paul was accused of, and it was desecrating the temple. Let's take a look at Troublemaker. Troublemaker. Uh, rebellion and the creation of civil disturbance was a capital crime and pre preeminently uh, prisonable. You could be thrown into jail for creating a riot. So spreading the gospel was a disease, and they were trying to snuff out the guy that was infecting everybody with that disease, and that was Paul. So if taking the gospel to the ends of the earth made him a troublemaker, then I'm sure he was more than willing to, to wear that badge. But we all know that when we really have Jesus in our heart, that we can't stop from telling people about him. So if spreading the good news for Jesus is a crime, hey, sign me up. I'll be a jailbird. I'll be a jailbird for Jesus. I know that Paul would like to be a jailbird for Jesus, too. It didn't, it didn't bother him at all. And Paul was thinking, hey, you know, I don't care what you think about me. It's like if I have to die for the gospel, then I will die for the gospel. These charges aren't true, but if I have to die for it, so be it. But the accusation of temple desecration was an offense that was punishable by death. But had to be proven. And Luke already tells us that they could not prove it. So the question still stands. Have you ever been wrongly accused of a crime? Have any, has anybody ever uh, wrongfully accused you of doing something that you didn't do? If you have, you know what a difficult thing that is to go through. And some of you might be going through that right now. 
I'm not just talking about being arrested by the police. I'm talking about in everyday life as somebody brought accusations against you. Accusations that they could come at us from everywhere, not just enemies. Like I said, they can come from family members and coworkers and friends and non-Christians, and they can also come at us from Christians as well. I don't know which of, of those on that list is the worst. They're all pretty bad on that list when you get accusations coming at you. I try to get into Paul's head and see what Paul is thinking. And, you know, Paul had to be thinking, you know what? We were, we were co-workers. You know, we hung out together. We, we persecuted Christians together, you know. And now I have flipped. And now, instead of persecuting Christians, I try to spread the gospel all over the place. Like, don't you think, I was this hardcore guy persecuting, and now I'm sharing the gospel. Don't you think there's something to that? Don't you think that I really know who this Jesus person is, and now you're trying to kill me? We used to work together. Don't you think there's something to that? But a person that loves God can't endure, I mean, they can't. They can't encounter wrongful accusations, can they? Oh, I hear a lot of people. They were like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, they can. I love the story of Joseph. Joseph was a righteous person, right, lover of God, but yet he was accused of wrongdoing, and he was thrown into jail. And we can take it from Paul, and we can take it from Joseph, that living a godly life does not exempt you from wrongful accusations. If you make it a point to spread the gospel, the evil one will come after you, and he will try to discredit you, because that's what he does. Nobody encountered more false accusations than Jesus did. The accusations weren't true against Joseph, they weren't true against Jesus, and they're not, they weren't true against Paul either. But we're a sinful people. We love to believe accusations against people, don't we? We love that. We love it. We love listening to that stuff without checking the facts. It's very important that when we hear something about somebody that we check the facts. Checking the facts is really big now. Happens to President Trump all the time, all the time, right? (laughs) Everything he tweets, right? People fact-checking that, fact-checking that. That's good. I encourage that. I encourage that kind of thing. Check the facts. When you hear something about someone, about what they do, what they did, what they believe, Check the facts. Go to that person. Ask them if they did it. Pastor Chris, I heard you was in jail. I heard you was a jailbird. Yes, I'm a jailbird. I went to, I went to jail for 22 hours. 22 hours. That's long enough for me. You ever been in jail? 
22 hours is a long time, all right? But I have a great story. Yes, I was in jail, 22 hours. I have a great story about how God and this church helped me get out of that. And I also have a great story about meeting God in there. But we have to check the facts. If we just believe what we're told, it reveals the wickedness in our own heart. We have to distinguish between truth and just downright lies. And if you've ever been the subject of lies and unjust accusations, you know how difficult it can be. It feels like you're trapped in this hole and you can't get out. It's just big enough so that you can't get out. You feel like you're trapped. And if you are there today, if you are in that hole, let me encourage you that God knows you're there. He knows your struggle. He is also in the hole with you. He is in the hole with you. And he knows your struggle. He's not going to leave you there. So, why does this thing, why does this kind of thing happen in our lives? Why do people bring false accusations against you? There's a couple of different reasons. People do this because there is something within them that they don't like about themselves personally. And they have to take it out on other people. People throw accusations all the time for no reason at all. But the real reason is there's underlying issues within their heart. Another reason is that people have their own agendas. People want what they want. They want what they want, and they're going to do anything to get it, even if it means to discredit you and slander your good name, even church people. Church people do this too. Why do they do that? I believe they do that because they have lost sight of the two major commandments, love God and love people. Love God and love people. And there's some other reasons too. Envy, anger, hatred, bitterness. Envy is the feeling of resentment toward others because of their possessions, position, or good qualities. People envy them, and so they have to make up, they have to fabricate things about them to make them look bad. Paul warns us about envy in Galatians 5.21. Envy, if it's not repented of, will turn into anger and then hatred. Hatred will take over the heart. Many times we say things about people that are simply untrue. The Pharisees envied Jesus. And that in turn turned to anger and hatred against him. This, in turn, led to them saying things that were not true. It happened to Jesus. It happened to Paul. And maybe you are experiencing this kind of thing in your life right now. So what do I do when I'm caught up 
in this hole of being accused. Whew. Preaching needs to hurry up. <clears throat> One scripture that was very important to me during this time was Psalm 40. Anybody have Psalm 40? Psalm 40. If you've never read that, read that. It said, I waited patiently for the Lord. That's tough. I waited patiently. How many people are patient? Yeah. <clears throat> Nobody raised a hand on that Yeah. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock. He gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. They will trust God because you trusted God. When they see you, trust God. How many times have I heard cry out, God, please help me? Right? That's a great song. That's a great song. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. You got to trust in the Lord, you got to cry out to him, and you got to wait for him to deliver you. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you have planned for us. You're in the pit because you have to be in the pit. You just have to be in the pit. Sometimes you just have to be there because there's a purpose in the pit. I love what Joseph said to his brothers in Genesis 50, 20. When they threw themselves at his feet, he said this. What you intended was to harm me, but God intended it for good. Joseph had to go through what he had to go through because there was a bigger purpose. That was to save many lives from famine. Jesus had to go through what he had to go through Betrayal, accusations, beaten, being beaten and spit on and humiliated and death on a cross. He had to do all that so that we could take, we could have our sin taken away. That's why he had to go through that. Paul went through what he had to go through because there was a different audience that he was supposed to go before. He couldn't do that as a free man. He thought he was going to go to Rome as a preacher. He went as a prisoner. And what that did was that put him in front of a different audience. It put him in an audience of governors, kings, and Caesar himself and his family. Could not have done that on his own. Chris Hopkins had to get thrown in jail so that he could meet God. Whoo! That's a, different, that's a different sermon for a different day right there. Man, because right there in that jail cell, I said, if you're real, reveal yourself to me. And he did. He came up and talked to me in there. Woo, that gives me goosebumps just thinking about it. Oh. He is very much real. I stand here today because of that. Romans 8, 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? Nobody. Nobody can be against you 
If they're giving you false accusations, well, your God knows about it. And he is not going to leave you in that pit. You may be in that pit for a purpose, but he's not going to leave you there. So if you are accused today, trust God. Keep, keep crying out to him in his time. In just the right time, he is going to pull you out of that pit. Keep crying to him. Keep trusting in him. And he will deliver you. To God be the glory. Amen. Amen.